I'm Emma G, radio host and Girl Power presenter. These inspiring chats with women living authentically and kicking goals will get you stepping into your power. Know your worth, rule your realm, become your own powerhouse. Whenever someone says, no, you can't do that, that just really means you can. Now you just kind of have to figure a way around it. You are awesome and you have something that no one else does. No one's journey or path is the same, which is why you should never, ever compare yourself to other people. If you want to do something, you go and do it. Imagine if everyone just spoke their truth. Hello. Before we get started in this conversation today, I'd just like to flag that some of the content in this episode is quite sensitive. Um, If you have experienced grief, loss, uh, especially through losing a child, um, you may find the content upsetting. So I just wanted to flag that um, if you do need help or you do need to talk to somebody, Lifeline is available 24 hours 13, 11, 14 is the number, but this is definitely worth a listen. One of the most inspiring conversations that I've ever been a part of. Um, and the reason that I've asked B to share her story is because she has such great messages of empowerment and strength. The topic of this discussion is so important for us to talk about openly. And I promise you that while you will need a tissue box handy, B does get her happy ending. (laughs) You never know what people are going through. Sometimes people with the biggest smiles are going through the greatest challenges. So always be a little kinder than necessary. I met B as my amazing yoga instructor and she is so incredibly positive and radiant with her fiery red hair and most vibrant energy. But as I learnt more about her, I realised that behind this bubbly, always happy, outgoing, bright exterior, that there is this incredible journey of pain, but also healing and strength. I approached me to ask if she'd be willing to share her story because it is so personal, but I really believe that there are some inspirational and empowering lessons we can learn from her and she has bravely agreed to do so. So thank you so much, B, and welcome to the Empower House. Thanks for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. Just to start, let's just give our Empower House listeners a bit of a snapshot of who you are and how you've come to be where you are now. Oh, who am I? Isn't that the big old question? Well, look, I am a yoga facilitator. I've been teaching yoga for around six years now. Um, I've really fell in love with a particular practice called yin. Um, And with that love of the yin yoga practice, I found myself stepping into studying Chinese medicine. Okay. So that's, I guess, that side of me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I am a mother of three. I am a wife and a human being. <laughs> awesome. That was a real tough question. <laughs> straight into it. I'm like, I don't know who I am. So refreshing to hear. Don't worry. You're not alone there. So today we're going to focus largely on that you as a mother of three part of, of who you are. Can you take us back to your first pregnancy? Yes. So I got, uh, well, I, I fell in love really quickly Um, with my husband now and we you know I think we weren't even together for a year and we fell pregnant and we've spoken about it but it was this we weren't trying pregnancy it just happened and when we found out we're like yep let's do it Um, so ready I love you this makes sense 
So we went into this pregnancy that was incredible. It was textbook pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time I used to teach Bikram yoga and I was doing like teaching hot yoga every day and I was practicing four times a week. I felt great. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit of morning sickness, but it was very textbook pregnancy. We got engaged during my pregnancy. It's like we bought a house. It was... Wow. Everything happened so fast. Yeah. How exciting. And and it was, I was totally all for it. And it just felt like my life was perfect at that point. Um, During this pregnancy, I had this real mindset that I wanted this real natural birth. And who knows even what that means nowadays, but I wanted this water birth and I wanted to breathe my baby out. (laughs) And I had this what I look back at it now, quite a naive concept of what I thought pregnancy and birthing your child was. Mm-hmm. Um, from about 26 weeks, like when you're starting to get real movements, I had this feeling that something didn't feel right. Okay. Um, I often complained to my midwife um, about movements and saying, oh, it just doesn't feel strong enough or how many kicks am I meant to feel in an hour? And I got lots of like back and forth kind of comments. Like sometimes it was like, oh, you're just really tall. You probably don't feel the movements and mm. every baby's different. They've got their own pattern. Just try to work out your baby's pattern. And mm. a lot of it, I kind of gave up myself and I let the medical team be in charge of my baby, which when I look back at it now, that's literally what I did. I was like, oh, I trust you you tell me it's okay, then it's okay. Well, they're the experts. You'd expect that they know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And now are they the expert or is it the mother that's the expert? Mm. Anyway, so I I went into this pregnancy from about 26 weeks not feeling right. There was something in me that didn't stick. And movements, it's like I was just waiting for these really strong kicks and mm. I just never really got them. And when I was almost 34 weeks at 2 a.m., my dog woke me up crying and he was at the side of my bed crying. And I remember I got this like feeling straight away when I woke up being like, oh my God, the baby's died. And at that point I was like, no, Bianca, that's morbid. Don't think like that. This isn't the 1800s. It doesn't happen to someone like you. Mm. That's, that's what I said to myself. And I tried to go back to sleep somehow. I did. And then the next morning, you know, baby still wasn't moving. And I remember starting this get the baby to move saga and this was quite a reoccurring thing that happened in this pregnancy after 26 weeks it was hard to get movement so I did the whole drink orange juice lay on your left side I even had a coffee I think and I got no movement drink orange juice is a thing yeah okay yeah yeah I could tell you it all works I feel like I can write a book about just how to get your baby to move (laughs) and then I called my midwife that I normally did and this time I got my step-in midwife And she just pretty much said, come in for a scan. And that, even going in for a scan, it felt heavy. It's like I had this cloud following me and it's like part of me knew that there was something that was about to happen. And when we arrived at the hospital, you know, we went into the special area where you go for like, I guess, emergency stuff um, for women, like a women's assessment. And my step-in midwife at the time was looking for our baby's heartbeat and couldn't find it. And it was a little bit fumbly and I remember thinking, this is normal. Mm. Baby's probably just hiding in a weird position and this is normal. I, still, this doesn't happen to someone like me. Mm. And then she was like, I'm just going to get um, an ultrasound. That way we can have a better look. And she was quite kind and almost like I still was thinking it was no big deal. This is fine. 
And then when we went into this sterile silver kind of stainless silver room and the doctor at the time just walks in, she's just like, you know, I'm going to give you an ultrasound now. And it's quite cold. Mm. It's like heavy. It's like they've done this before and they almost, they put on this weird like inhumane way of being. And the next minute it was just silence and without addressing me, it was turning off the machine and then, you know, getting the the doctor into this stance to look at us and tell us that our baby uh, was no longer living. And that was a lot. It was, (sighs) in the moment, it didn't feel true. And I carried this, like, shame with me. And I've often spoken about this before. I had this weird shame, like I I didn't want to be seen. I couldn't mm. believe I was carrying around a dead child. And, uh, you know, we didn't know the sex of our firstborn. And unfortunately, the way we found out we we're having a little girl was after she'd already passed. Um, and, you know, I probably knew deep down that I was having a girl with her energy. It was quite soft and mm. feminine and divine. So we went into this crazy ordeal where we had to birth a baby, our baby. So we had to do it. Mm -hmm. We had to have a child knowing that there would be no energy from her. And at the end of this horrific labor and pain, she would no longer be here. And it was really, really scary. And I went into the labor and I was on this awful drug that brought me on. It was long. It was painful. It was like going both ends. It was, Mm, you know, most labors that a lot of mothers have when they're birthing their alive baby. But the pain that I was feeling was nowhere near and comes close to the pain that I was experiencing from the loss. Emotionally. Emotionally. And you're not prepared for birthing your baby and there being silence and then passing your baby. And she looked pink. She looked, you know, gorgeous, but she wouldn't open her eyes. Mm. She wouldn't breathe. And it's, it's a lot. And that's, you know, we spent as many days as we could kind of in hospital. I had a few bladder complications and obviously I was on really heavy pain relief by the time we did get to meet her. So I had a few days with her in hospital and uh, even that in itself, that was really hard because I had to leave her. Yeah. I had to leave hospital without my baby and this empty body. Mm. There there was like no more me. Yeah. Can you tell us about meeting her? Yeah. What did you call her? Luna. Yeah. Beautiful name. And the reason why we called her Luna, you know, her name was actually always going to be Lotus. Mm-hmm. And I love the nickname Lottie. And Lotus was this flower. It is a flower that comes from murky waters and it comes into the light. And her name didn't suit a flower that got the opportunity to come into light. So we chose Luna being the moon that is something always with us but is out of reach. Yeah, so that's why we chose her name. And meeting her is the exact same meeting every mother has with their baby when they first meet their baby. It is the most deepest love that you'll ever experience. This love makes, like, it makes sense. It's the most, you know, I just want everyone to go out and have babies. (laughs) 
<laughs> Not bad for the economy, but I just, the, the feeling that you get is, it's un, like I was in this pain, this deep pain and this deep love at the same time. Mm. It It's almost like it doesn't make sense, yeah. but I was in the, that moment. I was completely, deeply falling in love with this child that was mine. And at the same time, she wasn't here anymore. Mm. So it was heartbreaking. Did they give you a reason as to what had, why or what had happened? Uh, yeah. So we opted to like another morbid thing, I guess, when you lose a baby, you have the option of getting an autopsy. And obviously I wanted reasons why. Of course. Yeah. I needed to know why because people looked at me like I was the picture perfect of health. This yoga teacher, I was feared. I yep, young green smoothies every day. I don't know. I fucking yep. took a multivitamin. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I was really confused. And when we got the autopsy results back, they didn't find anything. And they said to us that when we don't have a reason for it, it's very, very unlikely it will ever happen again. It's like getting struck by lightning twice in one week, they said. And... I held on to that, that that she wasn't meant to be here, that she yeah. was divine. I tuned into all my like spiritual way of thinking and breathing and I let her turn into this angel mm-hmm. and I, I let her come through me as a way of cleansing her karma so she can go out into her next life and be this incredible healing person, human light and I, I made peace with that somewhat. Like, of course, you still want your child back. You don't want the pain. You don't want the grief that you have to walk alongside for the rest of your life. But I did make peace with that. It won't ever happen again. And she was divine. And I held on to that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a way of um, honouring her as something greater. Yeah. And this it, it helped me grieve knowing that she was coming through me. Like, And I, I was chosen because I was so strong. And she came through me to move on to another world or, you know, whatever, wherever we go and to be something greater. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely helped me soften around the grief. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so can you now tell us about the period between losing Luna and then conceiving your second baby? Yes. So after we lost Luna, I, that, you know, you fell in love. And it was incredible. And I was just, I needed to experience that love and show a child that love. I I wanted to have another baby straight away. And Mm -hmm. we, like I was, had a catheter bag for like three months. Long story there. Um, No, I learned how to self-catheterize. Oh my God. So not only are you going through all this emotional pain, but then you have all these physical challenges as well. I think when you go through deep emotional stuff, nothing physical makes up like you know I don't Can't look at, yeah it doesn't compare yeah. it's, it's not a big it's not a big deal but it is a big deal but what I'm trying to say is I would have been right on my hubby at the time being like <laughs> get the bag out of the way get a baby in me <laughs> so that's where I was going with the catheter bag and turned out that's not possible um, <laughs> But I, I wanted to experience this love and love a child and show my child how much I can love them and how much I can show them. Um, so we, as soon as I was, I guess, in the all clear, we tried again. We had two miscarriages in between. Okay. Um, I I know miscarriages are 
another part of society that is almost stigmatised a little bit and we don't talk about it. You know, you don't talk about your pregnancy until you're after 12 weeks. I feel, I know I have a lot of friends who have experienced miscarriages and it's so taboo. Like nobody talks about it. Yeah. And we wonder why women have um, postnatal depression. This is like adds to the many lists of why women get postnatal depression. Mm. But I experienced two that were early and I even find myself being like, oh, they were early. It doesn't matter. I found that when I was miscarrying, I was really disconnected with my body. And I, that made me sad. That's where I held my most sadness because nothing can compare to holding your child that's no longer living, obviously. But a miscarriage still has like a life to it, a hope that got taken away from you. And it's not only the life that could have been, but it's also this, what's wrong with me? Mm. What's wrong with my body? Why am I, you know, getting rid of this what could Mm. be and that shame that you were talking about earlier and I I felt like it was a real mental emotional kind of what's wrong with my physical body thing happening when I was miscarrying and I I became quite obsessed with peeing on a stick and all of that sort of stuff so perhaps (laughs) a lot of women you know don't you know pee on the stick and but as often as I was was that kind of your way of trying to control the situation absolutely yeah i I went into this, so then we fell pregnant again and the way we found out is we went away on holiday at York Peninsula and on the way home I popped into the Port Wakefield um, BP there, you know, where everyone stops and gets fuel and I went and used the toilets. I'm pretty sure everyone stops there and goes to the toilets. (laughs) Pretty gross. Um, It's like the the meatway toilet to your destination. And I peed on a stick and I got back into the car and I just passed it to, well, he's my fiancé at the time, and I was just passed him the positive pregnancy test and said, we're having a boy. And You just knew. I just knew. Uh-huh. And then I went into this second pregnancy with I wanted to control it because mm-hmm. I, I had no control what happened with Luna and I had none of it. It wasn't there. So I was, you know, peeing on a stick like every single day to make sure it was still pregnant, that I wasn't miscarrying because you also have that. When you go through a miscarriage, you just assume it's going to happen again. Yep throughout the whole pregnancy. And then um, this is now the fourth pregnancy that you've had. Yeah. Right? Yeah. At this stage. Yeah, wow. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> My poor body. Um, so I again had a pretty textbook pregnancy. I knew I was having a boy and I was having a boy. We found out. It was me in control. Um, but I knew it anyway. There was no... I love that. Yeah. I, I was like, this is a boy. How did you know? Well, to be honest, when I felt Luna's energy and then compared to... The second pregnancy, it was very different. She was soft and gentle and Atlas, his name was, he brought this real like fire to me. This like, you know, like maybe he would have been this like heavy metal kid that drank beer or something, you know, <laughs> underage. That's kind of what I, he had big energy and I, and I experienced that while he was in me. And so again, I was in this textbook pregnancy from the outside of how they looked at me, what my blood showed, what the scans showed, everything was tracking along really well. Um, I was in a bit more of a high risk section. So pretty much all that meant now was I just got an extra scan, a couple Mm. of extra growth scans. I once again, and Atlas's energy was strong and his movements were a lot stronger than Lona. Like I was like, I had this relief from his movements and I also had this relief that you don't get struck by lightning twice in one week yeah you're like surely surely this is, this is and this I is even remember saying again. to my partner being like 
He's coming. This is it. And I was so sure of myself. And again, from about 26 weeks, I started to get irregular movements. And that's just like one day busy, next day quiet. Mm -hmm. And the thing that they look for in pregnancy is like a pattern that your baby can do whatever it wants, but there's one thing you're always sure that it does, whether you always drink orange juice and then it moves, always moves after orange juice. Or I used to kind of have with Atlas, I, I thought it was whenever I stood up, he would move. Okay. And that was my thing. And then all of a sudden that disappeared and the movements became irregular. They came really strong one day and then one day not, and then really strong the next day and then two days not. So again, I was doing this constant calling up, asking, you know, then I got remarks like second time pregnancy after losing one, it's normal to feel anxious. We'll do another scan. Da, 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 da. Mm. Or I got one comment, which was like, your baby doesn't have a pattern. That's your baby's <laughs> pattern. I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. So that means I'm all good pretty much. And yeah. then I remember um, at about 32 weeks, we got a scan and I complained to my obstetrician at the time and I just said, something doesn't feel right. And Again, you just knew. I just knew. Mm. And I tried to put that to the side of me and said, it's just because of what I've been through. And looking back now, it's, I knew. Mm. I knew. It's so hard though, because you're trying to make sense. You know, you're asking yourself, I guess, you know, am I being irrational? Am yeah. I just being overly anxious and controlling and worrying or is this... And Do I, I need to listen to this instinct? That. Yeah, I don't want to believe because the thought when I was in the second pregnancy of going through something like that was I wouldn't couldn't survive. Even, yeah, I couldn't do it again. And then at this scan that we we're having, I complained about the movements, and at the time Atlas was moving, and my obstetrician was like, "Oh, did you feel that?" And I was like, yeah, but not really. Like it was more lighter. And he kind of remarked of, well, you know, everything looks good here. It's going to be okay. That spontaneous movement, that's what we're looking for. You know, blood flow to placenta looks good, blah, blah, blah. So I went home and uh, at the next day I went aquarobics and he was like, bang on moving. And then I was like, oh, here you go. Okay. This is it, buddy. Like now you're moving and yes, say you're quiet because your pattern is you don't have a pattern. <laughs> That's what I was going through my head. And then yeah. uh, the following day after that, so the third day after having this scan, I caught up with a girlfriend of mine, a dear friend who's also lost her firstborn, and we just chatted about our girls, our little angel divine girls, and we were both pregnant together um, with boys and we're both chatting about this new life that we're going to get. Atlas was quiet that day and I put it down to... That day he's not moving and like he was yesterday because his pattern is he doesn't have a pattern. And also he's maybe not moving because I've been really upset and babies can pick up on your energy. I call bullshit on that now. I think babies just babies. Yeah. And then I decided to go for a walk with partner and our dog and we went around the doggy park and I thought I felt movement but I wasn't sure. And then we got home, I made chicken burgers and I just got this feeling. I was like, I sat down with this burger and I went to go eat it and I couldn't. And I, I, the way I describe this is like I had this gold cord and I felt it snap. And in that moment, I was still, but like internally, I was red with rage. And I just said to my partner, I was like, the baby just died. And... 
Lucas was like, oh, no, that's silly. Don't talk like that, babe. It's okay. And we had a Doppler at the time um, where you can read the heartbeat and that was just another way of control. Yeah. And we couldn't find a heartbeat. And then I was like, I don't know why we're fucking looking. The baby's dead. Like I was just angry. Yeah. Something got missed. I knew it. I called up the women's assessment. I was like, I'm coming in. My baby's dead. You told me my baby wouldn't die. Now I'm coming in and you're going to tell me that my baby has died. And I, that's literally how I spoke. They're like, oh, okay, love, just come in. And then they put us in the exact same room. Mm. And they weren't to know, but, you know, it was this sick Groundhog Day yeah. experience. And they did the scan and they turned to me and I knew already, like, I knew. And I remember just, like, biting my nails into this plastic hospital bed. And I was so angry because I was like, you told me that lightning doesn't get struck twice in one week. My baby has just died again. My baby is not meant to have a pattern. This is not meant to happen. That's what you told me. So now not only am I dealing with this again, and I know what's coming. Yeah. I know what I have to endure. It's, it's horrendous. I can't even, like, it was like beyond me. It was like an out-of-body experience. Like I couldn't even deal with the everything all again. And then I was also getting let down because I felt like the most unluckiest person in the world. I just got struck by lightning twice in one week. What happened? And again, like Groundhog Day, you know, we go home, we take sleeping pills, we try to sleep, we come back to hospital, we try to put on labour. At this point I did know better and I had a Chinese doctor come in and put me in labour, which is awesome. Like that was way more better than the drugs that they were trying to give me with Luna. Okay. I also had my four best friends in the room with me. So right. in a bit of sweetness, I got this somewhat natural birth that I was robbed from Luna. I got this like empowered because I needed those women in the room. I needed to have some control over the situation. Like, no, you're not giving me drugs to put me into labor. I'm yep. going to use my morals and my Chinese medicine to do it. So I was having the things that I guess I wanted with Luna and your friends to support. Yeah, and there, there was when you're birthing with other people in the room, which I think it's really powerful because especially when you know them, you don't do it like and at this point I wasn't doing it for me because there was no me. Yeah, I was done. But I was birthing for them because I wanted them to see how strong I could be. I wanted them to see this pain of labour because they too are mothers. Mm -hmm. And they too will experience this. And it was this deep connection that they were in there with me, birthing with me. And it wasn't a long labour. It was long enough. It was. It's very hard to birth a baby that doesn't give energy. So when they're passed, it's really hard when you get to the pushing um, mm -hmm. stage. And everyone was very mindful of my bladder as well. And I pulled Atlas up from wow. me because I knew it. I knew what I've done this before. Yeah. Like I'm not scared. I'm angry. Sad. Yeah. I'm sad. I'm like, what the hell has happened? Why did this get missed? And again, like I remember just pulling him onto my chest and the silence that filled the room, it, it, it will not haunt me, but it's in me. The, that feeling is in me. It's everyone that stopped breathing. And it was almost for him because he wasn't breathing. We're all waiting mm -hmm. for him to breathe. And again, he looked stunning and gorgeous. And he was like 
Luna was little skinny mini <laughs> and um, she was still really long. But Atlas was this little plump, squishy, I don't know, maybe he came out of my vagina a little bit more smoothly <laughs> than Luna second time round. But he he was just beautiful. And I unfortunately then they couldn't get my placenta out so I had to get run through surgery and um, get that taken out of me, which sucked because then I had to have all the heavy drugs. And, again, I knew that we only got a couple of days with this baby before we have to leave our baby in the hospital in a fridge and go home once again empty-handed. And this time round was really hard. I My support group was still there but nowhere near the support I had with Luna. It's like everyone mm. just couldn't comprehend it and were almost scared of me. Like I had a lot of people that I thought were friends that just kind of distanced themselves a bit. And obviously I had this real spiritual mindset with Luna. And when I was going into Atlas's pregnancy, I was meditating more. I stopped the hot yoga. You know, I did everything opposite. And I was really like affirming that this is my passageway to motherhood is this baby, it's happening and, you know, and then that all got robbed of me too because then I had no idea what to believe anymore. Yeah. Well, clearly affirmations don't fucking work. <laughs> That's what I was saying to myself, you know, like I was like, what is this? Like what is this world? How am I meant to live and survive with this heavy grief? And another thing that happens that you don't even think about but like when you would see people, and then they'll be like, oh, you've had the baby. Mm. And then I've got to be like, oh, no, I lost my baby for the second time. And it was this constant reliving. And, you know, when you break your arm, you get a cool cast and hopefully you get a fluoro cast and everyone can see <laughs> your broken arm. They can see your pain, that you've done something mm. and you've hurt yourself. When you're grieving, no one can see that. So everyone, again, just looked at me like I'm the, the mother that's now out and about or back on with her life and she's at home and a baby's at home. But it wasn't the case. And, again, I was walking around with this, like, shame. Mm. It wasn't where I was thought I was going to be. How, after that trauma and tragedy, do you, did you pull through that and can get the strength to continue yeah. and keep going? Look, <sighs> uh, you know, you don't know how strong you are until you've got no choice. And... I adapted this idea and I read it somewhere that only the gentle are ever truly strong. So I decided to be gentle. Like in everyone I meet and everything I do, I wanted to have this grace. And I I didn't want to be this hard metal structure, but I wanted to be this soft mercury. I wanted to like slip between the cracks and keep moving somehow and, you know, I held on to that we will have a baby. I held on to that I was a mother and that I was still this vessel of strength for my children, for them to come through and teach this world something and perhaps move on to their next world. I never let that go. Your mindset is amazing. That's really admirable that you were able to keep so positive through, yeah. through something like that. I don't. No, you know, a lot of people do say that yeah, to me. I bet. And I, I'm friends with other mothers that have lost children and I'm on all the Facebook groups. And I do see that a lot of 
you know, relationships break down and a lot of uh, mm. like mental disorders pick up, depression, drugs, alcohol, all of that stuff. I don't really have an answer to why I didn't fall down that path because the truth was that I was in love with something and I still am and it was just taken away from me. It didn't mean that I had to drown myself or I had to show like anger to the people I loved because I needed, I knew I needed to be held. I needed to be supported not only with those around me, but how I look after myself is how I was going to teach everyone to look after me. You said you lost a lot of, or there were some people that weren't there for you during that time. You thought maybe they were afraid of you. You said like, Mm. do you think that the issue of stillbirth is seen as like taboo? Um, I thought literally stillbirth was something that only happened in like the 1800s. Yeah. That's what I thought. I honestly, like that's so naive. I thought that you would have to be really sick and there'd have to be a reason to why your baby died. And if there wasn't a reason, there was still a reason, but they just haven't told you. Yeah. And it doesn't happen to somebody who's young and healthy and fit. Yeah. Someone like me, like someone that does yoga and, you know, the public can see me, I don't know. Yeah more so than the people that do lose babies and are hiding indoors. That just doesn't happen. I found that I, with pregnant women and me, I did feel like there was this standoffish vibe to some people because I was technically their worst nightmare. And when you're pregnant, you don't even want to, like, think of those thoughts. Like they think they can like catch it off you or something. Yeah, that's what I felt like. And perhaps that was just me that felt like that. But I'm a very energetic person and I feel energy and yeah. I know that I had this cloud mm-hmm. of like I was fine and then look what happened to me. And then they're like, but I'm fine. So can that happen to me? And they can't, other women, they can't think about that. And that is, I guess, the problem with the stigmatism around it, that mm-hmm. it doesn't get talked about because mothers are scared. Yeah. They're scared to talk about it and it's okay. You're allowed to be fucking scared. It's like <laughs> yeah. your life inside of you, of yeah. course. But there is this stigmatism that comes with like we shouldn't talk about it because it's bad. But the thing is if we did talk about it, we would have research and we would be able to prevent it. Yeah. They are facts. Well, that's why I think it's so awesome that you're being so open about your story. Mm. You have three children. Mm. Let's talk about the third pregnancy. Yeah, so... Mr. Sage, Mr. Sage Golden. So he, I love I love the names. You know, I thought he was going to be a girl, so I was like, "Lotus is coming." <laughs> when I found out it was a boy, I was like, "Sorry, what?" <laughs> and I was like, "He's definitely a girl." I know the energy, and if you meet him, you'll be like, "Oh, yes, yeah, soft as jelly." Um, and he was a boy, and I wanted his name to be Lotus, but obviously that's quite a girly name. So I thought of a way of incorporating light into his name. And sage obviously is a healing plant. Wisdom kind of comes from, and I'm pretty sure baby Jesus got sage, so my (laughs) my son can be called sage then. (laughs) Baby Jesus got it. I'm claiming it. Um, I can't call you Jesus. (laughs) But we went into this pregnancy knowing that it was going to be a long road that the odds were actually not in our favour. And that was a fact because whatever had happened, we didn't get answers. We never got answers. We got every single test that you could even think of that is available, literally available right now in this world. 
and we didn't get answers at all. So we knew that the odds were not with us and we had to find a team that was going to take baby out before 30 weeks. That's what we're working with. I was so scared to get to 32. You know, I felt like I was playing with fire. Yeah. So I needed to know. So we had meetings with neonatologists um, to give us, you know, all the outcomes that can happen when you pull out a baby that early, what has to happen in NICU, in special care, what the baby's journey. So we had all of this to come and then we still had to do the pregnancy. I still had to carry a baby without and just try and hope that the baby doesn't die. And it was hard. You know, with Atlas's, with Luna's pregnancy, I was out, I was doing life. I had no idea what was coming. With Atlas, I hid. I, mm. I easily had anxiety and uh, fragments of uh, depression that were granted for what I'd been through. But I hid and I covered my pregnancy because I didn't want people to see because I was so scared. Mm. With Sage, I, I just owned it in a sense. And I continued to do whatever I wanted. I, I did a little bit of hot yoga and I did a little bit of not. And I just did, not even day by day, I literally did minute by minute. That was all I could muster. Mm. And there was moments for sure that, you know, I remember one night I woke up and I had a panic attack and I couldn't breathe and I thought he wasn't moving. And then all of a sudden he's like, eh, kick, <laughs> you know. I'm here, mum. Yeah. <laughs> so there was, it was definitely hard. And I knew that like it was not even, we weren't even at the heartbeat yet. We had to get him out and then hope he lived. So the plan was we had this incredible obstetrician, like, oh, I just want her to be my mother. Um, (laughs) And she was on board and she was like, you know, I got this care that I didn't get with my other pregnancies. And, you know, I got this care that every mother should get, that the obstetrician, that your caregiver is going to listen to you. Yeah. And they're going to listen to every little thing you say and they're going to be like, worst case scenario, I'm listening, you know? So when I, I got so many scans, like I reckon I got a scan like every week at least and I got heart rate monitors, I got all these extra blood tests, you know, anything that would help me sleep pretty much. Yeah, and have that peace of mind. And she it, knew the history. Yeah. So she knew that she was stressed out as well. Like I'm pretty sure she didn't sleep throughout the pregnancy. <laughs> and then the plan was um, at 26 weeks, well, yeah, 26 weeks, they wanted me in hospital bed rest. Um, at 26 weeks, I was like, oh, my God, like thinking of being in a hospital is really like hectic away from my husband and my dogs and my yoga and, you know, my community. It was like hard for me to like do. So I ended up going in at 27 weeks. I got a weird feeling in movement and that's why we were like, okay, let's go on bed rest. I was getting two scans a day plus CTGs for around four hours and then ctg if you're not sure is where they monitor baby's heart rate so <laughs> i was on to this ctg and then because we're getting growth scans every week they usually do growth scans every two weeks but i was getting them every week just because my obstetrician was the best and she was just doing everything she could to make me feel comfortable and it sounds like she was trusting that you knew best you know mum oh, knows absolutely. what she's feeling I need to trust yeah, what she's saying. She was. She literally, yeah. like, I just, she knew me and she knew my history. So she just assumed everything I was going to say to her was gospel, yeah. was data, was cold facts. Not like, maybe I know better because yeah. this research study in 2006 said this. <laughs> That's what they do. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's crazy. I always say this because always is always wrong. 
And never ever, ever think in your life, if I can give one piece of advice besides only the gentle over truly strong, is always is always wrong. So just mm. know that. Don't think you know everything. And that's okay not to know everything. You know, so just keep open. So at this gestation and at this growth scan I had with her, we had a little dip in the growth scan. And normal dip, if this was a normal pregnancy, they would have been like, yeah, cool, just come back two weeks if you like, but it's all good. So, you know, you've got the 100 percentile and Sage was always in the 98th. And then this day he happened to be in the 41th percentile. Mm. And I remember feeling sick to my stomach. I was like, that's a sign. That's not right. I don't feel right. It's happening And again. she looked at me and she was like, mm. she just could tell. She was like, okay. And then she was like, go back to your room, get hooked up to CTG, I'll be back. Literally, she went around, asked all her, anyone being like, I'm going to take this baby out tonight or tomorrow. What do you think? Wow. And everyone was like, whoa, 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 whoa. She pulled up the history of Atlas and she saw that similar thing. So that time I went in for that gross scan, he had dropped. Exact same thing happened. Mm. And then three days later, Atlas passed. And she came back into my room like an hour or two later. She comes in with a bloody steroid injection. She's like, we're having the baby tomorrow. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was it was intense. But I, it's like I just knew that this was right. Yep. I was, my intuition was I knew it. I didn't doubt it. I was allowed to be sad. I was allowed to be irrational because what I'd been through. But me allowing myself those emotions empowered me mm. to actually tune in to like, yeah, why am I feeling this? Let's let's turn this feeling into energy. Let's move it in this direction. This is my fuel and I get to burn it and move it to where I want. So I knew that this was the right thing. I was in this um, labor room. We're ready for, preg- uh, for delivery cesarean the next day afternoon. That night, you know, I didn't sleep, obviously. Um, and my husband happens to be able to sleep on any piece of furniture you give him. <laughs> uh, it's really quite an art. <laughs> I'm really impressed. Um, and so when the morning came, they were about to wheel me in. I was still on the CTG. I got my normal Braxton Hicks contraction that I always got through all my pregnancies. But because I was hooked up, we saw his heart rate plummet to 60 that's low, super, super low. And I remember being like, what? And I wasn't contracting. Like I felt contractions before. They were just my normal tightening. And that was like massive. And they were like, yep, let's go now, now, now. And we literally got wow. wheeled into this room. You know, at the time I was reading this book called Awakening Shakti and it's all about these goddesses. And there's this one goddess at that time I literally read like the day before called Kali and she's like, bad bitch <laughs> she's like blacky blue and she's got this really long tongue and i think she licks up blood off her warriors and she know, sounds she, awesome oh yeah she's got a hula hoop of <laughs> severed um arms and a, a necklace of skulls she's badass and i remember just like embracing her when i went to the room because i was like come on this is my baby we're gonna do this like i remember just being and i was silent obviously no one knew that i was doing that but i was like in my head being like Carly, this, I can do this, I can do this. And I, my obstetrician was amazing and she was talking me through it and she was like, you know, we're doing this now, we're doing that. And then she gets to the, like, the decision and she was like, okay, he's lying transverse, we're going to pull him out in the bubble. Does that mean he's lying sideways? uh, Yeah, he's lying horizontally. Horizontally, yeah. yeah. So they pulled him out in the bubble 
because he was in that position. So they like she managed to like wizard with the scapula. I don't think that's what it's called, but tool, tool, tool yeah, yep. scalpel. I don't even know. Scalpel, scalpel. Scapel, yeah, scapula is. No, I'm thinking spatula. <laughs> scapula is. Yeah. I should know that. I'm a yoga teacher. <laughs> so. Some he, kind of instrument she's got. He, yes. Yeah. So he got pulled out of the bubble and I remember my obstetrician just being like, oh, hello, you, and then popping the bubble and we heard this noise that we've never heard before. And, you know, it was just the best sound in the world. And we also got told he may not cry because he was 28 weeks. We got told so he may not little. cry. He's so little. He was 1.3 kilos and he got down to 110 and we heard him cry and they let me kiss his nose before they like had to hook him up into breathing support and put him in his little spaceship, also known as an isolate. And I just, I, I don't even know how to describe. It was like I breathed for the first time since I was pregnant with Luna. You know, I finally breathed again. And it was, it was literally magic. And then from there, we had 97 days I spent in hospital. I spent 12 hours a day by his spaceship. Oh, wow. The NICU world is intense. It's, you know, they, babies have this thing called a bradycardia where their heart rate all of a sudden just stops because they forget to breathe. And all the lights go off, the machines go off, and everyone comes running. It is a place that is full of heartbreak, of sick babies, of people doing the hardest job that I can think of, carrying someone's life, this tiny, precious, tiny, tiny, tiny life. It's Mm -hmm. the the nurses, you know, we got were incredible. You know, that it was a journey in itself. I had a lot of fear around when we got to the gestation of Luna and Atlas and we passed Mm -hmm. them. And as far as NICU world goes, Sage did amazing. He just kind of cruised through it and we just had a baby really early. There was nothing wrong with him. Mm -hmm. He didn't die. And we got to leave the hospital with our baby. I don't even think I could see. I was crying so much. (laughs) When we got to leave, I was like clouded, crying, bowling all the way home. And I took photos, thank God. I don't look great, but he's in the car and we're taking him home. It's like it was, you know, I I feel like I'm still sad. I will always miss Luna and Atlas, yet it's, I've got this hole in my heart and my hole is the shape of a circle and he's just come in the, sh- the smaller shape of a love heart and filled majority of that hole. I love that. I know. And there's still gaps, of course. Yeah. But majority of my hole is like a heart. It's full of love. He's like, he's the light of our lives. He's great. So what have you learnt most about yourself through this whole process? Oh, look, I learnt resilience. Mm -hmm. I learnt how to stay true. I I think I learnt to be more open. There is so much that we close off. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do we not show people who we really are? Why do we hide our feelings? Why do we become silent in those places where we need to speak up? You know, we think of the world now that we live in. Like, imagine if everyone just spoke their truth. Where would we be? So I guess I learned to be, I learned to find myself for sure. 
and this strength that I have and I guess this way of being. And your yoga practice and meditation, has that been something that's helped support your well-being? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't, you know, I started with a Bikram practice. And if you've ever done Bikram yoga, it is hardcore. And their training is hardcore. Yeah. And that Bikram practice served this place in my life as like these tools I got to put in my grief kit that I got to use when I endured the loss of Luna. And it made me strong. It made me resilient. It made my mind choose where it goes Mm -hmm. instead of getting lost deep, deep in that grief hole. And then, you know, I met yin yoga and I softened. I learned to connect the feminine, you know, which is pregnancy is all about that. You've got no choice. Your body changes. Your baby comes, you know. And my yin practice allowed me to dig deeper into this real feminine softening and gentleness. And then my meditation has just always been there as a way to be okay in the moment, be okay in that moment. I love how you just said making your mind choose what you Mm. think because sometimes when things, bad things happen to us, we feel like this is happening to me and we feel out of control of our thoughts and our emotions. Mm. And I love that you have shown us through your example that we can choose our attitude towards life yeah and you know I I've been through if I I definitely could write an autobiography if I went to you and told you my childhood you'd be like no way you've even been through that like I have endured like not more than other people have but I've been through some heavy stuff I've never sat there and been like that defines me because it doesn't what you feel and what you experience you can direct that. It is energy. We are energy. So you can direct that and choose where you want to go with it. It doesn't mean like if you're a bereaved mother or you've lost someone, it doesn't mean you don't love them. You just soften the edges around the pain you feel that you can move forward and you can walk a path with the grief or with whatever you're going through, but you've still got that choice to get on the path and walk it. Amazing. (laughs) We can do that as a whole nother podcast, your childhood, know, yeah. and you definitely should write an autobiography. Thanks very much. I, well, I I'll be your I'd, first purchaser. I'll write a bo- autobiography once I got my happy ending because otherwise it would be a really, really dark, sad story, which I guess sells as well, sadly <laughs> enough. I loved Game of Thrones. <laughs> don't think anything happened. happened. Happy happened. Yeah, Jon Snow and Khaleesi got together. Yeah, <laughs> and then he killed her. And the dragon just went off. <laughs> I've I've got my own issues with that. (laughs) Um, So I just want to finish up by I ask all my guests if they can leave us with one final sort of empowering thought. I know you have given us so many already, but I feel like maybe it's something that you say to yourself when you're having moments where you're down or maybe it's something you say to others if, you know, friends that are experiencing difficult times and they need to be lifted. Maybe it's like you said, you practice affirmations or um, Mm. something that helps you step into that positive mindset. I think you just have to sit with you without distractions, without responsibilities and you have to ask you what is it I need right now like what is my heart need right now and a big thing of when you're grieving 
you have to ask yourself, you have to sit with you and you have to ask yourself and be completely honest, do I want to heal? And your body will tell you what it needs to. And if it's yes, then you keep listening. I don't think it's a matter of like pulling out an affirmation card and, you know, like I think it's something deeper than that. I think it's sitting with you. You are a part of this earth. And this earth and these seasons and this world fluctuates and you are meant to too. You know, we don't live forever. Like we eventually die and that's reality. But where you are now is something that you can connect to and you can listen to. And within you, there is this pull, this pull that you match with the earth, that this world and you can listen to that world within you and know where you need to go and what you need to do, your purpose, your love your healing journey, whatever it is, sit with you, be with you. Mm. Thank you so much Mm. for sharing with us your incredible story. And, you know, you have pulled through such trauma and tragedy, but you just have this crazy, awesome feminine power and so real and so raw. So thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. You're so welcome. Where can people find you on Instagram or more of your teachings and inspiration? Yeah, so on Instagram, my handle is Bianca Zara and you can find me there. I love hearing from people and getting messages and stuff and I love sharing. It's one of, I think, my dharma, my purpose in life is to share. And then you can catch me teaching at the Power Living Studios here in Adelaide. I teach at the city in Glenelg. I'm mainly at Glenelg now because... Golden boy, it's keeping me pretty busy. Um, <laughs> but I'm so power living, Adelaide. You're an absolute spiritual powerhouse. Thank Thanks. you so much for <laughs> coming on this show and me. sharing your journey. Yeah, thanks. It's honouring Lunar and Atlas, really. Thanks. If you were as inspired by this chat as I was, please share it with someone else you think might also benefit from listening. Let's spread this self-love, help others shine their light and see our sisters rise too. I'd be so grateful if you'd subscribe, rate and or review the Empowerhouse pod. And for more inspo or info or to let me know what you'd like to hear more of, go to empowerhouse.com.au or I'm on Instagram at em.powerhouse. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next time.